I'm just uh, always uh, amazed at our Pastor Sunita. She's uh, always so full of energy and so full of passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, don't uh, judge a person by the small package that they come in. Sometimes the small package are those who are very explosive for the Lord. And uh, we are just thankful for people that comes in different shapes and sizes. So be careful not to look at the cover, but look at the people, the beauty, and the wonder of what God has for us. Pastor Su was also sharing that uh, we are also on uh, our Unstoppable Faith series in uh, the Sunday service and also in the Saturday service. I think Pastor Gwen is also doing uh, the same series uh, uh, over in the Saturday service. So we cannot help even the song uh, that we were singing today, Nothing Going to Stop Us Now, because we have an unstoppable God. Can we say an amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah. Today, uh, I will uh, touch and carry on a bit of what uh, we are going uh, on in our Unstoppable Faith series. And this time, it will be from slavery to sonship. And that's why today, our focus, today, our attention will be on uh, our Father. Many times, we speak a lot about our Lord Jesus Christ, which is right, which is good, which is proper. We speak about the Holy Spirit being a Pentecostal church, and that is rightly so, because we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the second move of the Holy Spirit after our salvation. But there are many times in our lives that we forget, that we, are, we need to come back and be reminded again that it all starts with God, our Heavenly Father. And here we have in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Can I ask uh, each one of you to stand even as we read uh, this, the Word of God. And it is not just a prayer, but it is the Word of God. Let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May the Lord bless His word. Thank you. You may be seated. So many times, people have uh, referred, even in some of uh, many of our Bibles in the heading, it puts there as the Lord's Prayer. Just let me just clarify. Let's just be sure. It is not the Lord's Prayer, but it is the disciples' prayer. It is the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray and to approach God. So the disciples' prayer uniquely binds them together in a community of worship and intercession. And the reason why it is called the disciples' prayer is because there are certain elements in the Lord's prayer that is only applicable to sons and daughters, to you and I as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the prayer, the Lord's prayer, his prayer for us and for the church is found in John 
chapter 17. So this prayer that is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to uh, verse 9 to verse 13 is actually your prayer and my prayer. And there is another version that is found in Luke chapter 11. And that is a shortened version of the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. And uh, some of you may be asking, what about the, the doxology for the kingdom of God is yours, the power is yours, your glory is yours. So that part, uh, according to uh, the scholars, that part is a later addition. So what most of the new uh, translation will always end the, the, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer until uh, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But having said that, for yours is the glory, the power and the honour is still very much biblical. So it is given to guide us and to model for us how to approach God in a way that He will hear and answer our prayer. It is discerning and aligning ourselves with what truly matters to God. So for us, who are sons and daughters, who are citizens of the kingdom, it is only you and I who can pray this prayer. I will let you know what is the reason why you and only you and I can pray this prayer. Do you know that Jesus was commended by His Father on two occasions at his, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration and at His baptism. Jesus, the Master and Beloved Son of the Father, was teaching His disciples, this is how you should approach God. Do you know what is righteousness? Do you know what is right standing with God? This is how you do it. And even as we look at the passage in Matthew and the passage in Luke, Luke was the time where the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so, a most, almost similar prayer was given in Luke. But in Matthew, there was another context that was given. And the context was about when he was comparing the people that were very prayerful, very religious at that time. It was the Jews, the Pharisees, and it was also the non-Jewish people who were also as fervent and religious. And of course, the reason why we should listen to what Jesus is teaching us because it matters how we approach God. It matters how we pray. It's not what we pray. It's not the words we pray. It's not the format we pray. It is not the set prayers that we pray. It is how do you and I approach God? Because this will cause God to answer us. Jesus was commended by the Father on being the Father's beloved Son when He rose from the baptism, when He was baptised by John the Baptist. And there was a voice that came from the Father and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And also at the Mount of Transfiguration, again the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. So for you and I who are disciples, who are citizens of the kingdom, there's one thing that you and I cannot escape. 
We have to hear. We have to listen. And we know that faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so everything that Jesus speaks to us is important. And that's why many times Jesus used the word, truly, truly, I say to you. Because whatever that Jesus says is of the truth. Jesus says, my word is spirit and my word is truth. That's why if we want to know whether you and I are approach, approaching God correctly, if whether you and I are worshipping God correctly, if whether we are praying to God correctly, if whether we are serving the Lord correctly, if whether we are approaching His Word in a right, respectful, God-honouring way, then the content of the disciples' prayer makes a world of difference. The context in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus was, was saying in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then Jesus taught His disciples, look at two groups of people. The hypocrites or and the pagans or the Gentiles in some of the... So Jesus was asking us, His disciples and I, look, let me show you which is the wrong way to approach God, which is the pagan way of approaching God and which is the family way, the Christian way of approaching God. So Jesus went on to verse 5 and says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and they, that may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is one group, the hypocrites. And the other group, he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. But in some of the translation, he says, do not babble, babbling as the Gentiles or the pagans do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Twice on this occasion, Jesus mentioned what are the hypocrites like? What do they do? And he says, do not be like them. Secondly, he told about the Gentiles and the pagans. They use many words. They babble. And Jesus says again, do not be like them. You are not supposed to be like them. You are sons and daughters. You are disciples. You are my disciples. You approach God the way I approach my Father. I will show you. I will teach you. And then Jesus says, pray then like this. So this is very important. Pray then like this. That means it is not to pray the, the, the disciples' prayer as a ritual. To pray it as a professionally, to pray as a set prayer, as a format, but to say, you must pray in this manner. And so Jesus is very clear. There's a lot of things that 
we and you and I have been praying, the way we approach God looks like hypocrites. The way we approach God may even look like those who are outside the faith, like the pagans, like, like the Gentiles. But Jesus says, no, that is not how you and I should approach God. Jesus says, pray like this. Jesus said, didn't pray, Jesus didn't tell us to pray in exactly these words. But Jesus said, pray like this. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It all starts with God. It's about God as a Father. So one of the things that we need to differentiate, you know that in the time of Jesus, the hypocrites was not a very negative word. It's actually the word for actors. Actors put on a mask. And so they become like somebody else. And so that is why uh, they, they, they call hypocrites. But Jesus began to use a contemporary word during that time to say that people who think they know God. People who think they are right before God, sometimes they, they, they don't realize that they are approaching God the wrong way. They are just hypocrites. They are just putting on the mask. That is not who they are. And so, the hypocrites are those who do the right thing for the wrong reasons. They, the Jews like to pray many times in the day and they show everybody how they are praying to be seen by people. Many of them do that. Of course, they are uh, other Jews who pray in the temple quietly. Like we have the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, one praying right in front to show everybody. And the tax collector was beating his breast and says, I am a sinner. I do not deserve to lift up my head to God. But generally, sometimes, you and I as believers, we can sometimes fall back and pray with the wrong motives before God. And then there's another category, the Gentiles or the pagans. It is right to pray. All of us pray. In fact, praying and seeking God happens universally in all religions. Everybody prays. Everybody is seeking God. But the Christian prayer, the disciples' prayer is one that distincts us, that makes us different from all other faiths. It's because how we pray who we pray, and the cause that we pray for. So the Gentiles, pagan, is they are also very prayerful. So here, there's, it's not a difference between the religious and the irreligious. This is not the difference, but it's between the Christians and the unrighteous, and those who are not Christians. So the Gentiles are praying the right thing. They are doing the right thing, but with the wrong attitude and the wrong approach. They are thinking that they can manipulate God. They can, they can twist the arm of God by saying, God, I do this for you. You will do this for me. But the prayer that matters to God is what comes from within. Jesus says it's not what goes in, but what comes out that matters. So we are not, as believers, we are not focusing on the external, but the internal. So William Templeton once says, your religion is what you do in your solitude or what you do in secret. Jesus is saying that disciples, sons, daughters, 
This is not how you approach God. You don't have to show people that you are coming to God in prayer, that you are seeking God, that you are praising God, that you are worshipping God, but that there is a way that of relationship. There is a way of coming personally to God. There is a way that we are already accepted. That is why we come to God. The pagan prayer or the hypocrite prayer is that I must do something in order to be accepted by God. This is the difference between your prayer and my prayer and those who do not know God, who do not have a relationship with God. They have to perform. They have to do. Every major religion gives you a moral code. Only the Christian faith gives you righteousness as a sequence to redemption, not prior to it. Righteousness is not the means of your salvation, but a demonstration of it. Jesus warned right at the beginning before He teaches the disciples' prayer, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Righteousness is not something we earn, something we work for. And that is what the hypocrites, that's what the Jews, and that is what pagans do. They work towards getting, earning something from God. But that is the opposite of what the gospel is. The gospel is that we are saved. The gospel is that we are accepted because God is good. There is nothing lovely or good in you and I, but all goodness comes from God. So your righteousness and my righteousness is of God and from God. And we know in Isaiah, it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We cannot do enough good to be right before God. And that's why the Word of God, Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what the hypocrites and what the pagans is trying to do, he says, I want to be right with God. I want to earn. I want to pay my way to enlightenment, to be good. But Jesus is saying, no. As sons and daughters, we are already accepted. We don't have to earn it because it is all done by the Lord Jesus Christ. So the disciples' prayer is meant to be a constant reminder, exaltation to see that we are made for relationship. God has made us for Himself. That's why the Lord's Prayer is not a formula to be recited or a prescribed liturgical form. You know, we have, a, we have many times, I'm sure all of you in your messaging, your WhatsApp, you have people sending you prayers, a prayer chain. And it says, you must pray this prayer how many times? And then you must quickly pass it on to somebody and then you will receive the blessing or else something come, happens to you. But this is opposite. To what Jesus is teaching us. It is not manipulating God. It's not trying to twist the arm of God. It's not to earn God's favour because we are already favoured because we are sons and daughters. Can we say amen to that? Amen. So be careful. There is a home that a visiting pastor went to one of our members' home and says, give the, a picture of Jesus. And with, this, with, a, with a prayer, he says, you must pray this prayer 30, 40 times is there. And when you come past this prayer, th this picture, you must smile and say, hi, Lord Jesus. 
And this is exactly going back to pagan prayer. This is actually going back to how the hypocrites pray. They are trying to control God. They are trying to determine what God can do and what God cannot do for us. But in for us who approach God, it is the opposite way. We come because we have a relationship with God. So the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, when we come and when we look at the disciples' prayer, it tells us something very important that is so different from the way the pagans pray, the hypocrites pray, the Jewish people pray. It is, it is not to say in prayer, it's not what we say in prayer, but it's how we see God. When we come to disciples' prayer, we must see God the way that He has revealed Himself in Christ. The way that Christ has revealed the Father. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now you know the Father. Now you have seen the Father because you have seen my life. You have heard my words. And it's how we relate to God. It is how we see our priorities and purpose. It is how we see our source of provision. It's how we see ourselves. It is how we walk before God and others. It is how we depend on Him. This is what matters most when we pray, we seek and we ask anything from God. So be careful, brothers and sisters, when we say the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. It is not meant to be prayed literally but it's meant to examine our prayer life. It is meant to examine our walk with God. It is meant to examine is what we do in our time alone with God. Are we doing what Jesus is doing with the Father? So the disciples' prayer has six specific petitions in the prayer. The first three on the preeminence of God. And the final three, our personal needs in a communal complex. The disciples' prayer is the way or the pattern in which all other prayers must be done. Sometimes we just mistake and say that, oh, I forgot to pray the disciples' prayer today. And so, but never mind, I have other prayers to pray. We know that there are many, many prayer books that are sold in the Christian bookshop. Praise God for certain specific prayers that we can have. We either pray for our marriage, we pray for our children, we pray for our business, we pray for the ministry. This is right and good. But do you know that in this prayer, the Lord's prayer, in this disciple's prayer, this is the way in which all other prayers must be done. Check your prayer that you have that someone has sent to you, or your prayer devotion that you have, whether the prayer is in alignment with what is contained in the Lord's Prayer. Does God receive all the glory? Is it all about God's kingdom? Just like what Pastor Su was leading us to do. Kemuliaan, untuk kemuliaanmu. Malaysia, untuk kemuliaan. It is all for the glory of God. Or is it for our glory? Is it all for our purpose? When I first heard and read about this enlightening truth about the power of the Lord's Prayer, it began to transform me. In fact, one of the authors says that the Lord's Prayer is the greatest prayer ever given 
into the world. It is the prayer by which all of us will have to gauge all our other prayers. So when you and I go to God, whether we are intercessors or whether we are praying for our children, whether we are praying for our business, whether we are praying for the ministry, let's begin to put this prayer before our lives and say that, are we aligning ourselves? It needs a recalibration of how we are praying. It needs a reordering of our priorities. And for you and I, sometimes our prayers are wrong. Sometimes our prayers may seem very pagan. Sometimes our prayers can be like the Jewish prayers. It's all about me. It's all about look at me. I'm good. I come to the temple every day. I pray. I give alms. I do good. I observe all the festivals, the Jewish festivals. Look at me, God. I'm better than all of them. Do you know, brothers and sisters, sometimes you and I can pray like that. Or we can pray like the Gentiles or the pagans and say, Lord, look at me. I come to church how many times a week on Wednesday. I come for healing rooms. I come for cell. Sometimes the, the, some of the cells meet in church too. I come for service. I come on Saturday. I come every day. Lord, surely I'm better than my other brother and sister next to me. Or I come for prayer meetings more than other people. Surely I'm better than all of them. But Jesus is saying no. That is not how God will receive us. That is not how God is pleased, how we approach Him. It is not what we do. It is how we look at God, how we approach Him. It starts with our Father. I may not have time to say about the other petitions, but today I just want to leave you with just two important petitions, two important approach to God that will transform you just as He has transformed my life. It will change the way you look at God. It will change the way we look at ourselves. It will change the way we look at our brothers and sisters. But it must start with how Jesus started to teach us how to approach God the Father. It is our Father. Abba, Father. And Abba is a very, uh, it's a Jewish term of endearment. It is what a Jewish child will call the Father, Abba. It is a very personal, personal calling of a child to a father. It means it speaks of, you are my Father. You are my authority it is a warm because there is a personal relationship between father and child. And there is an intimacy between a father and a child. And this is amazing. This is radical. If you and I begin to grasp the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, it will transform the way because this is the one that will determine that we will do the others well. That we will want God's kingdom to come. God's will to be done. That we will want God's name to be holy. That we will want to ask God for our daily bread. And that only when God is our Father, can we ask God to forgive us of our debts. And then only then can we forgive others of their debts. Only if God is our Father, can we say, Lord, Father, 
protect us from all temptations and deliver me from all evil. It depends who your father is, who your God is. There's no other religion, there's no other faith which calls God their father. Although there are six petitions, but we can also look at it as the first part is adoration. The first part of our Lord's Prayer, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is the most important. It determines whether our prayer will be right, whether we are approaching God right, whether our relationship with God is right. It is a health check. It is a spiritual health check because this is what spirituality is. Spirituality is right standing with God, walking right with God, pleasing God just like Enoch pleased God and God took him. And one of the only things we heard about Enoch is he walked with God and he pleased God. And the author of Hebrews says, we cannot, we cannot, faith is pleasing God. Without pleasing God, without faith, we cannot please God. So the first part is praise and adoration. The second part is the petitions. Give us before we can petition God, we must know this God that we are approaching. For the pagans and for the hypocrites, for them, it is like coming to an ATM, coming to a buffet. It says, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm coming to church for you. I'm reaching souls for you. I'm giving the money and offering back for you. Remember me, eh? But no, for us as disciples, as sons and daughters, the first most important foundation for us in salvation, in fact, the most important thing in salvation is sonship. That's why the title, From Slavery to Sonship. Before anything else, before you can ask God for anything else, is you must realise that you and I are sons and daughters before God. Paul says in Romans, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. If heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also will be glorified with Him. This is so powerful. We must get this right as sons and daughters. Sometimes when we come to the saving faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just want to be blessed. And some people say, why do you become a Christian? I just want to be blessed. I just want God's protection. But then we are coming to the Lord just like the Jews, the hypocrites. We are coming to the Lord just like the pagans, just like the Gentiles. We want something from God. We want to get something from God. He says, Lord, I give you something, you give me something. But no. The essence of salvation, the essence of the Christian faith 
is our adoption as sons and daughters. Nothing else is more important than being a son, a daughter of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the one at, at your right and at your left. These are sons. These are fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's why you and I call each other brother, sister in Christ. Because we have one Father, we have one Lord, and we have one Holy Spirit. How do we become children of God? Only through Christ. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as son by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is only through Christ because the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient for us to become sons and daughters. Do you know that Jesus has come to bring us home? That's why when we say, Welcome home, Selamat pulang. We are actually coming back to a right relationship with God. Jesus is not purposely just coming to save us, to bring us to His heaven. No, Jesus is actually bringing His children home, God's children home, sons and daughters to come home to God to be sons and daughters. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, No one comes to the Father except through me. So when you talk about father, very importantly, we talk about relationships. We talk about families. We talk about inheritance. We talk about rights. So this is where we enjoy all these benefits, all these privileges because of our adoptions and sons, as sons and daughters. Do you know that in the culture during the time of Paul, Paul is the one who uses the word adoption. And adoption in the time of Paul was when, when they have no more children or whether they are childless, they will adopt an adult. For what reason? So that when they pass on all their wealth, they will pass on to this adult who is adopted. So it is a legal right the adopted child becomes as if he is the natural child. And all that belongs to the father belongs to that adopted child. He is not second class because he's adopted. He is not second best. He does not receive, he only receives half because he's adopted. No. If he is a, a child, he is legally adopted child. He is recently received the full benefits, the full rights, the responsibilities, the inheritance. That's why the word just now we read, we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. All that belong to God belongs to us. Can we say an amen? And because we are children, that's why we have to be very careful how we pray. We don't approach God like the Jews, like the Pharisees, like the Sadducees, like the self-righteous. Because when they approach God, it's more important of what I do for God. I work for God. I do things for God. It is impersonal. I just ask. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what God says. And we put conditions. God, if you are good to me, I will be good to you. If not, I will go to another God. And it is demanding. It is earning. That's why they babble. They keep on saying and saying and saying, you must give me, you must give me. I deserve it because I pay tithes. Because I do this for you. Because I work, I serve in the ministry. Sometimes our prayer can be like that. But those who are 
of you who and I who are sons and daughters, we are in relationship. We are no longer religious. To be religious is to be business-like. That means it is very conditional. You do this for me and I will do this for you. It's to be very professional with God. But that's not how God wants us to approach. To be very professional. To follow protocol. God wants you to go to Him this way, in a set manner. No. But when God taught us to pray this prayer, the disciples' prayer, it starts with, Our Father in heaven. Straight away, the most important thing comes. It's why that's why I begin with says that you and I are made for relationship. And the Christian faith, the Christian walk is all about relationship. Family relationship is stronger than friend relationship. It's stronger than business relationship. Business and friendship can break anytime, but not family. You and I know that as we are who are our parents, no matter what our children do, we they will still be our children. We will still receive them. We will still accept them. We will still forgive them. Even though they need correction, they need rebuking, they need discipline, but they will always be our children. But sometimes we give up on friends. Sometimes we give up on business partners, business deals, people we work in, because this is our relationship. It's business. It's professional. It's based on what I do and whether you accept me for what I do, but not if we are sons and daughters. Because it depends depends on our being. Why does God want to answer my prayer? What does God want to bless me? Why does God want to favour me? Why does God want to protect me from the evil one? Why does God want to use me? It is because of who I am. And who are we? We are love. We are children. We are sons and we are daughters. If earthly parents will not reject their children if they do any wrong, what more? How much more? Jesus always liked to use the, the analogy of lesser to greater. If earthly parents, when children ask for bread, surely the, the parent won't give a stone. If the children ask for fish, surely the father will not give a serpent. And Jesus says, how much more your heavenly father will give you Good gifts. And in Luke, it says, how much more your Father will give you the Holy Spirit. So when you and I come to our Father, it is because, not because of our goodness. Remember, I started off, we have nothing good that God will look, that God will see in us. But because of Jesus, because of the righteousness of Christ in us, when Jesus, when God the Father looked at you and me, it is nothing worth while looking at you and me because we are all sinners. But when Jesus, God the Father looks at you and me, He sees Christ in you and I. He sees His Son in you and I. He sees the forgiveness, the blood of Jesus Christ upon our life. That because of Jesus, you and I are accepted. You and I are adopted as sons and daughters. And so when we come to God, it is personal. Because God is personal. Unlike many, many gods out there. They are impersonal, they are cruel, they are distant, they are far. But here, our God is personal. 
Our God reveals Himself to Moses. Our God reveals Himself to Abraham. God reveals Himself to Isaac, to Jacob. God reveals Himself to David. God reveals Himself to the disciples. And God reveals Himself lately by His Spirit to you and I. And it is unconditional. That's why we need to pray, forgive us our debts even as we forgive others their debts. That means God says, yes, I will mess up. Pastors can mess up. Leaders can mess up. Godly people can mess up, can make mistakes, can sin. But God says, it's alright. I know who you are. I know where you came from. I know you are dust. You are clay. It's my spirit in you. It's my son in you. But you are always my child. I will forgive you. It's very important for us never to compare God the Father with our earthly father. It must always start before when we come to God, we must push aside our idea of earthly fathers. I thank God that some of us have very good godly fathers and some of your fathers are here. Some of your grandfathers are here and they are very good godly role models. But some of us may not have good godly models. Some of us have absentee fathers. Some of us are orphans. Some of our fathers are missing, like myself. But never see God, the Father, as our Father, no matter how good, no matter how bad our Father is. That was the thing that transformed my life. That was the thing that led me to become a child of God when I begin to understand the Father's love, that my Father is not like my earthly father. Two fathers that I had, one father and one stepfather. Both of them abandoned. Both of them betrayed the family. Both of them had affairs. Both of them had women. Both of them just abandoned us completely. Both of them were hiding from us when we are trying to contact them for help. All silent. But you and I must realise, when we come to God, our Heavenly Father. He is not like that. God, our Heavenly Father, is not like an earthly father. He will not abandon us. He will not hide from us. He will not hurt us. He will not harm us. But what He will do is He will make us what He will do things in our lives. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, He says that the Father will discipline His children. If we are not disciplined, we are illegitimate children. We are not sons. But God disciplined us for our good, Hebrews 12. So that He wants us to share in His holiness. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we must get this right about our adoption that we are, God is asking us, remember, sometimes we started off, we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to the Christian faith, all oh, joyous. And then we fall back from becoming sons and daughters. We forget about our privilege. We forget about our rights. We forget about our responsibility as children. Even children have responsibility to their parents. They must obey. They must listen. They must come under discipline. And that's why 
Jesus says, if your earthly father disciplines you for your good, what more our heavenly father will discipline us for our good so that we will be holy, so that we will have the peaceful fruit of righteousness in Hebrews chapter 12. The reason why God the Father will, will do that is because He loves us. But sometimes in our earthly family, they will discipline us for no right reason. For every little thing, they will punish us. And that is wrong. Sending us into a dark room, taking away our allowance, doing things just to hurt us, just to punish us. Sometimes beyond what we deserve. And that's what I experienced as a child. But I have to change my mindset. I have to recalibrate. I have to reorientate. I have to reorder my mind and say, No! My Father in heaven is different from any earthly father. He will not harm me. He will not have any evil intent. But his, his, all His intention for me is to see me grow up as a child. We should not remain as a baby always needing to be fed milk. But even as Paul says, it's time for us to eat meat, to eat solid food by going through different trials that God sends into our lives. And sometimes storms and trials are sent by God for a good purpose. Just like what I'm going through even right now, there is a trial, there is a storm in my life. But you know what makes the difference between a storm in my life when I know the Lord God as Father and before I know God as the Father, I know that I can run to the Father. Do you know that you and I, when God is our Heavenly Father, we can run to Him even at 3 a.m. in the morning, 4 a.m. in the morning. We don't have to tiptoe like we do for our earthly fathers. He says, don't disturb my sleep. Don't get me on the wrong side. I just come back from work. Don't talk to me. But God the Father is not like that. God the Father, we don't have to tiptoe and say, is God in a good mood or bad mood? In my Father, no. God is always in a good mood. God is always loving. God is always compassionate. So we can run. We can ask and ask. That's why Jesus taught the, 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 for us to come to God. God says, be persistent in Luke 18 about the, about the widow coming to the judge. Just continue to ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Do you know the word here is the continuous the, 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 the grammar is continuous. It means you not just ask one time. You just continue to ask God according to His will. Ask Him. Seek and not. God will not be offended. God will not be angry when we ask for the good things in our life. So the adoption is the basis of approaching God and God answering our prayer. We are given new rights, new identity, a new position, a new, we are, have a new value for ourselves. There is a freedom, there is a destiny, and there's an inheritance in God's family. So we are heirs and co-heirs with God. Everything that God has belongs to us. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we live in poverty. Sometimes we don't ask God. Sometimes we don't walk as sons and daughters. We walk as if we are still slaves to our own life. Sometimes we walk as if we are an outsider. If you are a tenant renting a house, it's different from a son staying in the house. A son can go anywhere in the whole house, 
A son can do anything to the whole house because I'm a child in this house. But a tenant that is renting a room from the house can only stay in that room. He cannot demand, I pay you rent, you just give me this. A son, don't pay rent. A son stays there not because of anything else, because he is a child. He is a son. He is a daughter. So we must know our rights. So you and I will never understand who you are until you understand who God is. God wants to be our Father. And there are many people out there, and some of you here, God is not your Father yet. But all you have to do is just to listen to the Son and say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's the only way. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be intellectual. You don't have to earn to be a child of God. All you have to acknowledge is to come through Jesus Christ. The greatest life to live is not purpose-driven, but presence-centered life with God the Father. We know some says, you may make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know that? That is the greatest thing, is to know God. And Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life. This was the prayer that Jesus was praying to the Father for you and I. And Jesus was saying this prayer to God the Father on behalf of you and I. And says, this is eternal life. That we will know the true God. He was talking about His Father and His Son Jesus whom you sent. So, the Christian faith, the relationship that we are doing right now, everything that we do as a church in our walk with God, in the, in the kingdom of God, is actually knowing God. And we will continue to know God when we are in heaven, when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, the new paradise. See, behold, what great love the Father has lavished on earth that we should be called children of God. Can I ask the worship team to come back? This is something sometimes we forget. And this is what John the Apostle reminds us. The, the old translation, I think this is the New King James, is the word behold. I think behold is more powerful than see. Sometimes we see, we're just talking about just vision. But behold is to be amazed. It's to say, it's a miracle. What great love the Father has lavished on earth that we should be called children of God. And that is what John the Apostle discovered because he was the one who loved Jesus. He was the one who leaned on Jesus when they were always sitting at the table. And John loved Jesus because Jesus loved him in a very special way. Because he was always clinging. He just loved the presence of Jesus. Loved the presence of God. Why? Because it is a miracle that God can love you and I, knowing our background, knowing our past. And yet God can love you and I. And then more than that, more than what God can love us, God wants us. God is calling us to be sons and daughters.
today. Even as we go through the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The reason why you and I are praising God, just like we have wonderfully praised and worshipped God, it starts from the fact that because our Father's love is too much. Sometimes we use the word too much. When we eat too much, we say it's too much. I ate too much. But when God loves us, it is always too much. We don't deserve it. It is a miracle. Our salvation is a miracle. Our calling to be sons and daughters is a miracle. The way we can approach God anytime is a miracle. And God will hear us. God will hear us and God will answer us. But you know when God, when we come to God in prayer and we start with our Father, we start with the privilege, with the status that we are adopted as sons and daughters. Do you know what will happen? God can only do two things with our prayer. He can give us what we ask if it's according to His will. Or secondly, if He doesn't give us what we ask, the only other thing that He will do for us as sons and daughters, He will give us what we should have prayed for, but we didn't pray. Because God knows better than what we ask. Because He's our Father. He knows what is good for us. When we ask for bread, He will not give us a stone. When we ask for a fish, He will not give us a serpent. But God will give us His best, His gift, His presence. There are two groups of people here that I'm speaking to even as we end right now. Pagans, hypocrites, cannot pray the disciples' prayer because they do not know God. They don't have a relationship with God the Father as revealed in the Word of God, as revealed by Jesus. Because only those who have come to Christ, to God through Christ, can call God Abba Father, can hallow His name, can praise His name. That's why we are praising His name. That's why we are adoring Him. Pagans cannot pray this prayer. It's only the special prayer, the secret prayer that God has for you and I. And it's a privilege to pray this prayer. But Christians, listen carefully. Christians, you and I, sometimes can pray pagan prayers. We can sometimes approach God like the Jews, like the Pharisees, thinking that we deserve it all because we have been good. We have not done anything bad in our lives because we have given God everything. We have given our tithes, our offering. We are serving God. We come for prayer meetings. We come to church. No! And this is the thing that we have to be very careful. God is not keeping accounts of your attendance, of your works. But more importantly, God is more concerned about spending time with Him, coming to Him as a child, as a son, as a daughter, and just lavishing Him with prayer. Hello, be thy name means giving Him all the glory. It means treasuring Him, honouring Him. Let me saying that, God, you are my ultimate goal in life. Hallowed be thy name. 
And that's what we do every time we come together. When we praise God, when we worship God, when we adore God, we are saying, hallowed be thy name. And only children can do that because God is our Father. So today we want to bring the children back. We want to ask God for forgiveness if we have been praying the pagan prayer, if we have been approaching God like a pagan, like a hypocrite, like a Jew. But God says, come to me as my son, as my daughter. And some of you cannot pray this prayer yet because God is not your father yet. Because Jesus is not in your heart yet. Today is the day for you. Today you can say, I want this God. I want this Father's love. I want this acceptance. He's like no other father. He is the perfect father. He is the heavenly father. And I need his love. I need his forgiveness. I need somebody like this. Because deep inside each one of us, there's only a vacancy. There's only a void that God can fill. Nothing else can fill. Religion cannot fill. Wealth cannot fill. Help cannot fill. But only there is a God-shaped size vacuum in each of us that only God the Father can fill. If God is speaking to you this morning and you believe that God is, that you want this Father's love, that you want this Jesus, you have missed out on the Father's love for too long and you never realise that God is calling home His sons and daughters. God is waiting to embrace just like the prodigal son coming and the father was waiting and looking. And today you know it is for you. May you just quickly raise up your hands and say, I want to come to God the Father. I've never made Jesus my Lord. I know that Jesus is the only way for me to be a son, to be a child of God. Just quickly raise up your hands. And we want to pray with you. We want to invite you and welcome you into the family of God. Into the family that will carry on for all eternity. Every other kingdom, every other earthly family will have to disappear through age, through death. But our spiritual relationship, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters will live forever with God the Father.